My name is Dave. I'm the campus pastor at the Harrison Lane campus here. If you are joining us in Blend or Amped, good to be with you this morning. Out in Bearden with Nate Sullivan out there now and out of Roan County with Todd and everything, good to be with you. As we get started this morning, um, we're going to take a moment just from the top and we're just going to take a moment to pray. And we're going to pray for... Um, Last week, we took a moment to pray for what was going on in Israel as war was breaking out uh, last Sunday, and yet here we are eight, nine days later, and we're still in the midst of it. And so um, we just want to take a moment to pray, and so we're going to do that now, okay? So let's pray together. Father, we do come, and um, we live in a world that's messed up, and there's wars uh, that we know about, there's rumors of wars, there's all sorts of things going on around this world that uh, are just heartbreaking. And so God, we pray specifically for what's going on uh, in Israel and Gaza and in the north and um, all, of the, all of those issues surrounding that. God, you know perfectly what's happening there. And we do ask for peace. We do ask for lives to be spared. Why? Because you are a God who values life. And Father, I pray for us specifically, uh, as we watch uh, what's happening, I pray that you would give us, your people, a spirit of wisdom, that we wouldn't just turn on our favorite news channel and just buy into whatever narrative's being told, and uh, God, would you just give us real wisdom? And Father, I pray that above all else, that the name of Jesus in the midst of this conflict would be lifted up that people would see the truth of who you are, whether they're Palestinian, whether they're Jewish people. If they don't know you, Jesus, I pray that your name would be lifted up, that people would get a glimpse of who you are and that they would turn to you. And Father, would you use your people, the church, to make the name of Jesus lifted up, to be lifted on high. May the world look, even in moments like this, at the church and see something different. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for letting us just pause for a moment and pray for what's going on around the world. If you're joining us uh, for the first time this week, we've been in a series in the book of Exodus where we've been talking about reconstruction, reconstruction. This last week was fall break, and so fall break, my kids were out of school and my in-laws are in town. They bought a house out in Friendsville, and it happens to be on the lake, and their dock needs complete repair. And so my father-in-law calls up my 12-year-old son and says, hey, you want to work this week, and, and you can help me redo this dock? And so my son goes, sure. He goes over there, and they start ripping apart this dock. I mean, my son, who's 12, mind you, not a contractor, is up on the roof of this dock, like scraping shingles off the roof with a sawzall. But don't worry, safety is always the top priority in our family. And so uh, my father-in-law tied a nice sturdy rope around him, around his waist, so that way if he did fall off, he would be completely safe. Here's the thing. It, when you're deconstructing, when you're doing demolition on something like a dock, if you're not careful about the order in which you do things, it can get dangerous real fast. And if you don't have the end goal in mind of 
when you're doing the demolition, then you're gonna, it's just going to start ripping apart everything, even stuff that you might want to keep as you rebuild. You see, if you're doing a construction project, you always have to have the end in mind, and this is true of our faith. There's been a lot of talk within the Christian world about deconstructing your faith, about asking questions about maybe you've grown up in church and there's a lot of people in the Christian world who grew up in the church and they get a little bit older and they start asking questions about their faith and they start deconstructing their faith. The problem is it's not asking questions. We always should be asking questions about our faith. We should always be asking the question, does my belief, what I've been taught, line up with actually who God reveals himself to be in the scripture? And if our belief doesn't line up with that, then it's not the scripture that needs to be changing. Our faith needs to change. Our belief system needs to change. The problem is not asking questions. The problem is if we don't keep the end in mind and the goal of knowing God in mind and we just deconstruct, 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 that's what leads to a crisis of faith. So we are going to be in Exodus chapter 29 and what we've been seeing in the book of Exodus is that God actually wants to build our faith based upon relationship. God had called the people, Israel, to be in relationship with him. He defines that relationship and he tells them how they are to live out that relationship as his people. So we're gonna be in Exodus chapter 29 and here's what we're gonna see is that faith, trusting God, is built on experiencing God's presence. Faith is built on experiencing God's presence. The Israelites we're gonna experience, that we're gonna see in our passage today, they were gonna experience to a whole new degree God's presence. They had been in slavery for over 400 years, but then they saw God. They experienced some of his presence. I mean, think back to earlier in the book of Exodus. God does these 10 strikes on the land, these 10 plagues. The Israelites saw that. They saw the mighty right hand of God. They saw God lead them out of slavery and they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They, they experienced God. Then they experienced God as they moved beyond the Red Sea into the desert where God was leading them by a pillar of cloud by the day and a pillar of fire by night. God was going before them, leading them. They had experienced God but something was gonna change in these chapters here. It's as if God is going, I've been leading you, I've been out in front of you, but guess what, buckle up, because I'm no longer gonna just be leading out in front of you, I'm moving in. I'm gonna come to the center, right in the middle of your camp, I'm gonna be the center of everything you do. So before we jump into Exodus chapter 29, we need to understand a little bit of something that happened right before Exodus 29, and it happens in Exodus chapter 24, verses nine through 11. The people are at the base of Mount Sinai, that's a little bit of context, and God is coming down, he gave them the law, he gave them the Sinai covenant, and the people are responding, everything you say, God, we're gonna do. And then in Exodus chapter 24, it says this, then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. When it says they went up, they started going up the mountain. They're at Mount Sinai. They started going up. 
and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. That's a wild, that's a wild little snippet right in the middle here. That God has come down on this mountain and it's the mountain's shaking, there's peals of thunder and there's fire and smoke on the mountain and God says, I want you to come up. So 70 of these guys come up to the middle of the mountain, they look up and I don't know what it was, but they beheld the very sanctuary of God, the very place where God dwelt and it said they ate and drank with God. That's awesome. You wanna have a cool dinner guest? God is your dinner guest. That is wild and in that, God revealed to Moses something that was very important for what's happening next. Because in chapter 25, he goes, you saw my heavenly sanctuary, the very place where I dwell, and now what I'm gonna do is, now that you've seen it, I'm gonna give you instructions, starting in chapter 25, of what my tent is gonna look like for me to dwell in the middle of your camp. I'm gonna meet with you and it's gonna be right in the middle. And so Moses had been used to a tent of meeting. If you've been reading through the book of Exodus, you know that the tent of meeting was outside of camp. So Moses and Aaron would go to this tent of meeting with God outside of the camp and, and Moses would come back and his face would be shining and everyone's like, whoa, Moses, come on, bro, put something over you. And he would meet with God in a tent of meeting outside of camp, and now God's going, you've seen my heavenly sanctuary. I'm moving that tent of meeting that you once had outside of your camp. I'm moving that tent of meeting right to the middle of your camp, and it's gonna be called the tabernacle. So that's where we are as God has given specific instructions of how he wants this tent of meeting, this tabernacle, to be built. And in chapters 25, really through 30 or so, you get these instructions and there's things, there's items in the tabernacle that are supposed to remind people of Eden. Of There's these garden things. That you've heard of a menorah. This is supposed to be in the tabernacle and the menorah is supposed to look like a tree that shines perpetual light on this blue silk thing that, that separates the Holy of Holies and it's supposed to remind people of creation, of, of God is the one who created the skies and the stars and the light and the trees and everything. And God's going, where I dwell, my sanctuary is a garden. And so this is where we pick up in Exodus chapter 29. God has been laying out what the, what the tabernacle is supposed to look like. He lays out the priests who are supposed to serve what they're supposed to do and the sacrifices that they have to do in order to enter into this, this sanctuary, this Eden place with God. And in chapter 29, verse 42, it says this, it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified my, by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting. Now this tent of meeting is not the one that Moses has outside of camp. This is the tabernacle that's gonna be dwelling in the middle of the camp. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, Aaron also and his sons. I will consecrate to serve me 
as priest. And look at verse 45. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God tells the people, build me a tent, and here's what it's gonna look like. It's gonna remind you of Eden. I'm moving in. And as I was studying this this week, and as I was listening uh, to podcasts and reading commentaries, it dawned on me that God's plan was always to have an Eden relationship with his people based upon his presence. God has always been doing that. God dwelling with his people is the intention of God since the very beginning. And we've seen throughout the story in the Old Testament, throughout God's story, we see these collisions of heaven and earth, where heaven and earth meet. We see it first in, the, in Eden. There's a garden where God and man dwelt together. Eden is talked about as this mountain place, and, and it's where God and man were together. There was nothing separating them. It was truly Eden. We get another picture of these Eden moments where God and man are colliding, that, that there's this heavenly reality that takes place. We see it in the ark with, with Noah and with God. We get another picture of it when Moses, do you remember back in Exodus chapter three, Moses goes to the mountain of God, he goes to Sinai, and he encounters God at a burning bush. And God and Moses, it was this Eden place where heaven and earth collided. We see it here where there's another mountain place where the whole of Israel was out Mount Sinai and God came down and met them there. Now we're getting the tabernacle and tabernacle simply means it's a dwelling place, a place where heaven and earth were to collide. And yet we see the story continue that we move from wandering in the desert with the tabernacle to the promised land where all of a sudden he says, okay, I don't need a temporary shelter anymore. Build me something permanent and we get the temple. God has always been longing to dwell with his people. And these are moments, these are Eden moments where heaven and earth collide. And I pray that you've experienced moments like that in your life. Moments where you just know that heaven and earth are colliding in that very moment. One of those places for me, uh, oftentimes those, th those things happen on mountains, don't they? You go to a retreat somewhere, you're on a mountain, and that's why we call them mountaintop experiences. And, and for me, one of those formative places where I just know heaven and earth collided was a place called Hume Lake Christian Camps. It's up in the Sequoia Mountains in, in California, and, and it's this beautiful place. And we used, I used to go there as, um, gosh, I would go there as a camper, and then I started bringing youth groups there. And there were so many times we would be in this chapel called Ponderosa Chapel, and we would be in the middle of the forest, and God would do incredible things. There would be students who are surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time. And I remember being in those moments, and I couldn't help but hit my knees and thank God for what he was doing. It was an Eden moment where heaven and earth were intersecting, and it was one of those times, and it was times where I just went, I never want this to end. 
I hope you've had those moments in your life. Those times where you just know God's doing something powerful, tangible in this moment. I had a, I had a thing like that just happen last week. Last week during the Live It Out, we were doing the Live It Out and on Monday, there was a question that we were looking at Exodus 19 and 20 where God was coming down and he was meeting them on the mountain and he was giving the 10 commandments and the question that stood out to me on Monday was this, what stood out to you as you read this passage? So I had listened to the passage, I had read the passage and something that just stood out to me was the power in which God came down to, to give his law, to give his relational requirements. It just struck me that the mountain was smoking and that there was earthquakes and thunder and all this crazy, God came down in power. And it was then that I realized that even the week before, I was at a conference that we held here uh, with 35 pastors from around the country and we were talking about how do we instill word and spirit values within our congregations that we serve. And I was talking about, we wanna normalize engaging with the Holy Spirit. We wanna make this so that it's normal. That's what we as Christians do. We encounter the Holy Spirit. But as I was, as I was even thinking and talking about engaging with the Holy Spirit, God reminded me two weeks ago to say, hey, go to Acts chapter two. So I went and I read Acts chapter two, and the Holy Spirit, when he came down at Pentecost, didn't come down as a gentle breeze. It says he came as a mighty rushing wind. God came with power with his Holy Spirit. And it was a reminder to me to go, wow, we never treat the Holy Spirit lightly. We wanna make engaging with the Holy Spirit normal, but we never wanna diminish his power. And then the very next week, I'm sitting there and God is going, asking the question, I believe, of going, what stuck out to you as I was giving the Ten Commandments? And it was his power once again. And it was in that moment that I bridged the gap of going, oh my gosh, God, you are a powerful God. And sometimes I normalize you because I talk about you all the time and we engage all the time with you. But God, may I never minimize who you are in your power. And it was this Eden moment as I came to this conclusion of going, Oh my gosh, God, and I couldn't help but worship. God comes and he reveals himself. Our God is a powerful God. The problem is, um, from the beginning chapters of the book, we're not in Eden anymore, are we? Eden, in a way, has been lost. Why? Because sin had forced humanity from Eden and from that point forward, when God kicked humanity out of the garden, God has been pointing us toward the day when heaven and earth would become one in a new heaven and a new earth. But until then, God's story is one of redemption and renewal. And what we see is that God, we see it in the book of Exodus, we see it in the book of Leviticus, that even though Eden had been lost, God was making a way for heaven and earth to be united again through a thing that we call the sacrificial system. That you were able to bring sacrifices so that you could enter into that Eden relationship 
again. So in the Old Testament, we have these pictures of Eden. We have Eden itself. We have the mountain of God. We have the tabernacle. We have the temple. And each of these are pointing us forward to see that God dwelling with his people was gonna be fully revealed in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the perfect tabernacle for God's people. Jesus is the perfect tabernacle. Jesus himself is where heaven and earth collide in a very tangible way. Jesus is the Eden spot. I, I love Christmas time. Any Christmas lovers in here? Some of you. Anyone hate Christmas? No, you can't say that. Don't raise your hand of that. You're like, hey. I, but I, I really, I love Christmas season. I, I love everything about it. I love the decorations. Now, I know people who are like, oh man, I can't wait for the decorations to go down and all that. I, I love the decorations. I love the way our house looks. Um, I decorate the house and it, on the outside and it looks the same every year, but I still have to go show my wife as if I did something like a masterpiece. And she's like, oh, it looks like last year. I'm like, what? hurts a little bit, but I love it. I love the way the house looks inside. I love the smells. I love the songs. I love everything about Christmas, and it's at Christmas time that we celebrate what? It's not a trick question. <laughs> we you're like, what are we celebrating? What do we celebrate at Christmas time? Birth of Christ. We celebrate, here's the word we use for it, Emmanuel, that God is with us. And as I was looking at these passages in the Old Testament, as I started seeing the pictures of these Eden moments that keep circling back, it brought a whole new um, emphasis for my life this year as we had, there's only, there's less than 80 days till Christmas. And it brought a whole new emphasis this season for me to go, oh my gosh, God, you have always been longing to dwell with your people and you've made a way for people and God to dwell together in these Eden places, but then you provided a way to provide Jesus to go, he is the perfect dwelling of God and man. He is the perfect intersection of heaven colliding with earth and it happened in Jesus. I love the way John writes about Jesus in his gospel in John chapter one, verse 14. And the word, this eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's writing about Jesus. Jesus is this eternal word. And he became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I've read this passage so many times. We went through the book of John here on Sunday mornings. I've read this passage from when I was a kid, but it didn't strike me until as I was studying it recently that, and the word became flesh and dwelt. You wanna know what the word dwelt is right there? And the word tabernacled among us. God tabernacle. Tabernacle just means it's a dwelling place. Jesus is the tabernacle. The tabernacle that we read about in the book of Exodus was coming to fulfillment in the person 
of Jesus. D.A. Carson writes it this way. The word is the ultimate manifestation of the presence of God amongst human beings. Jesus is the Eden place. If we wanna know what God is like, we need to look at Jesus. Why? Because he's the place where heaven and earth perfectly collide. Jesus is God's solution for establishing the sacred space for God and humanity to dwell together. Jesus is the solution. In Exodus, we read about this sacrifice, this sacrificial system that they were to come and offer so that people could enter into the Eden place, the heavenly place where God dwells, but they all pointed forward. They pointed forward to one day where a perfect sacrifice would come, a sacrifice that would be once for all. And that person is Jesus. And the author of Hebrews writes about him in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, where he says, he, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves. The author of Hebrews is going, oh yeah, the goats and calves, that old sacrificial system was reaching a fulfillment, but by means of his own blood. And what happened because of the shedding of his own blood? He secured an eternal redemption. Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice so that we can have complete access to God. There is no more veil. We are allowed to go into the Eden place. Why? Because of Jesus. And if this isn't good news enough, I mean, that's good news, isn't it? If that's not good news enough, it gets even better. That those who have new life in Christ Those who have surrendered their lives and trusted Jesus are now the dwelling place of God. That blows my mind. I mean, think about the progression that we see. We read in the Old Testament that God was gonna dwell with his people, what? In the tabernacle. But there was only certain times and certain occasions that you could go into the innermost place of the tabernacle. They move and they get to the promised land and they build the temple and there were still rules and regulations of how to enter in. Jesus comes, lives the life that we couldn't live. He dies the death that we all deserve and what happened in that moment? In the scripture, it tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated God from man, the holy of holies, the place where you are only allowed to go in once a year, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom. God was going, access now is granted. That those who trust and place their trust in Jesus and Jesus alone have access, full access to God. Growing up, I I went to church as a kid. I mean, I was a kid that uh, born on Tuesday in church on Sunday kind of thing. And I went to the vacation Bible schools and I, I did those things and I knew about Jesus, but it wasn't until I was 10 years old that I was at that same camp that I brought students to later. It was at Hume Lake Christian Camps when I was 10 years old that I remember praying, and this is the language we had at the time, did you ask Jesus into your heart? That's the language we used. And, and so people would ask, and I, I don't remember if it was my counselor or what, was like, hey, have you prayed to ask Jesus into your heart? I knew what Jesus had done, but I remember being 10 years old and laying on my bunk going, I need to do that. 
And so as a 10-year-old, I'm laying in my cabin and I prayed to ask Jesus into my heart. Now, did I know what that meant? No, because it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Because I was like, do I have like, like actual Jesus man? Like he shrunk down and now he's like a little Jesus living in my heart? Like that's weird, right? Ask Jesus into your heart. I didn't understand what it meant. But now, as I've gotten older, and especially as I read that God has always been longing to dwell with his people, that's the kind of relationship he wants, that now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of Jesus dwells in my physical body. Jesus, by his spirit, is in me, and now, it's not I just ask Jesus into my heart, no, it changes the way I view even myself of going, oh my gosh, I am now the sacred space of God. And if you have believed in Jesus, you are the sanctuary of God. God dwells in you, and that's mind-blowing. It's true of us each, individually, and I don't know about you, but that gives me such comfort. It gives me such comfort to know that when I'm facing the biggest trials and hardships of my life, I'm never alone. And in Christ, neither are you. He is right with you. He is dwelling with you. You are not alone. And it's a joy to know that even when life is hard and even when life is good, he is with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. And while this is true of us individually, equally important is that this is true of us corporately. It changes the way we view Sunday morning gatherings if we understand that when we gather together, what? We are the sacred space of God. We are the very sanctuary of God. We are sitting, even right now as I speak, in the Eden place of God, a place where heaven and earth are colliding. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, of going, hey, I'm going to Eden this morning. Why? Because when God's people gather, gather together, there's something powerful that happens when we gather together in like-mindedness worshiping Jesus. But this won't happen until we actually open our eyes to the reality of what is actually true. Have you ever noticed, um, how many of you, uh, all campuses, venues, how many of you have bought a car in the last year? Raise your hand. Raise it high. Be proud that you bought a car. Yeah, good. Have you noticed that when you started shopping for a car, let's say you were going to buy a Chevy truck, right? We're in Tennessee. Chevy, American-made, 4 by 4 you got to have that, right? So you start, you're like, I'm going to buy a Chevy truck, and you start looking around for Chevy trucks all around. Do you notice that the car that you begin to pay attention to, you start seeing everywhere? You're like, oh, my gosh. We used to play the game Slug Bug. Remember that game? You see a beetle and you slug somebody. When you start playing that game, it seems like they're everywhere and your arm's bruised. But the same is true when we begin to open our eyes to the reality that the heaven and earth have collided, that Eden places, that God's made a way, that we are the sacred space. When we open our eyes to that reality, we begin to see it all over the place. We begin to see it everywhere. 
You see, when God's people have their eyes open to that reality, we understand that we are on mission together. Why? Because God wants to be wants us to be his sacred space, not so that we just gather together to have our holy huddle and then we feel better about ourselves and we walk out and it makes no difference. No, God has always been longing to be in relationship with his people so that the rest of the world would experience the blessing of God. As I said, two weeks ago, we had a conference here of 35 pastors from around the country. And at that conference, there was about seven of us from Two Rivers staff that were at this conference. And so we have 35 people from around the country and we have seven staff members from Two Rivers there. And can I just tell you something? If you've ever like engaged with Two Rivers staff of more than just one of us at a time, you quickly understand that Two Rivers staff, our love language is sarcasm. That's our love language with each other. If we're not dishing on you a little bit, it probably means we don't like you very much. But if we're kind of mocking you and making fun of you, yeah, we probably, you're in. And that's the way, that's just the way our staff rolls. So here we are at this conference and our staff is doing what our staff does. We're kind of mocking each other a little bit, we're having fun together, we're praying together, we're doing all the things that we do as a staff. And no joke, all seven of us that were at this conference at different times in the conference had another pastor come up to us from somewhere else in the country and they walk up to us and a guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, can I ask you something? And I went, yeah. And he goes, um, it just seems like you guys really like each other. And I, I looked at him straight in the eye and I said, I don't know about the others, but I'm faking it. I'm just kidding, I didn't say that. I said, well, yeah, we, we actually do like each other. And he goes, oh, man. And it, it actually made me really sad of going, are you working with people that you're like, we just don't really like each other? But it made me realize that our staff, we work hard at relationships and we work hard on mission together. And now that we're on mission together, we know what God has called us to. We are moving in the same direction. And if we're gonna be doing that, let's have fun while we're doing it. And it made me realize, if that was noticeable in a staff of 35, can you just imagine if God's church, the very sacred space of God, in unity, on mission together, goes out into a world that doesn't know him, guess what happens? The world is gonna take notice. There's something different about them. They're on mission together. They are in unity together. And there's something powerful that happens when God's people are marked by his presence and go out on mission together. Something powerful happens. And the good news with all of this, that we are the sacred space of God, and we realize that, yeah, we are the sacred space of God, but God is not done. We are not back in Eden yet. And now we see that God will fulfill his promise. We know we're not in Eden, we see tragedy at every turn, but the hope that we do have is that one day God will move us beyond Eden moments to a new heaven and new earth where we will dwell with him forever, where we will physically tabernacle with him. In Revelation 21, verses one through three, John is writing and he says this, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place. There it is again. The tabernacle of God is with man. He will tabernacle. He will be with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God has always been longing to dwell with his people. And one day our hope is that that will actually be fulfilled. And we will experience the Eden place in a way that we are only getting glimpses of now. So what do we do with this? What what are our next steps this week? And here's the simple next step really, is this. Let's go to the mountain together. Let's go to the mountain together. Let's look for those Eden places where heaven and earth are colliding. So let's go to the mountain together. What does that look like? We have opportunities. We don't just do things. We don't just like provide um, opportunities to worship together just to make you busy. That's not our goal. It's not like, oh, what else can we do to busy their lives? No, no. We wanna have these experiences together so that we can be the blessing to the nations, so that we can experience God together. So what what opportunities do we have? One is Serve Saturday coming up. It's coming up October 21st and we're gonna go out into our community and together, on mission together, we are gonna serve, not to make the name of Two Rivers great, but to make the name of Jesus great. So that people would know Jesus And so this is a chance for us to go out to serve together. If you haven't already signed up for that, you can go to 2rc.tv slash serve Saturday. That registration closes tonight. So please, if you haven't already signed up, let's do this together. Why? Because there's something powerful that happens when we serve together. So October 21st, serve Saturday. Coming up soon, we have a grandparenting summit on October 27th and 8th. If you are a grandparent, this is a great opportunity for grandparents to join together to learn how to leave a lasting legacy with the next generation. On November 2nd and 3rd, we have Quiet Waters coming up. If you've never been part of Quiet Waters, it is an Eden place. It's a place where we come and we gather together where heaven and earth collide, where we come and we worship Jesus together. There's power in our worship. And then what else do we do? We listen for God. We listen to what he has to say to us individually. We listen to what he has to say to us corporately. And so that's coming up November 2nd and 3rd and I'd encourage you, register for that. Why? Because we wanna experience another Eden place together. Finally, is the live it out. It's a daily discipleship guide. It's a way for us as God's people to engage with God, to encounter him. And I'll just tell you, I experienced it even last week as I engaged with God that we have these heaven and earth collisions as we purposefully engage with God. And so live it out is an essential piece to put us in God's way so that we can experience them afresh, anew. But what are we gonna do now? We studied in the book of Revelation that the reality of dwelling in God's presence, 
that we read through the book of Revelation, what do we see again and again and again? Is that where God dwells, there's worship taking place. And we are the sacred space of God. We are experiencing an Eden place even this morning, and I can't think of a better way to respond than to respond to that God in worship. And so here's what I'm gonna have you do. Stand up in this room, all across our venues, our campuses, and we are gonna worship God together. So Father, thank you that you are a God who provides a way, who makes a way for heaven and earth to collide, and you made that way through Jesus. And it blows my mind that now we, individually, we corporately, are the very sacred space the tabernacle of God. And so because of that, we wanna worship you as we look forward to the day that one day we will worship you face to face. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.